This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, here as usual, Wednesday Bowl Preview Edition with Mallory Hartley. Mallory, how are you? Doing well. Glad to be here. Yeah, I should say it's a Tuesday Bowl Preview Edition because we're recording this on a Tuesday. <laughs> uh, Mike Craven. Mike, how are you? I'm doing tremendous today. I have a sense of freedom I haven't had before a National Signing Day in about a decade, so I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, you don't have to uh, arrive at a place at like 6 a.m. to make sure all the faxes are in. You you can you can choose where you get to go. You, you're not just uh, kind of uh, uh, shackled to Texas like you have been in the past. So yeah, I don't have 30 stories in the in the works, you know, ready to publish as the national letters of intent file in. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be nice having to scrap one as a commit turns a uh, flips at the last second. And then before you look like uh, the, the villain of the, of the beat. So there you go. Yep. Yep. Well, nice. speaking of Craven's recruiting history, it was a year in the making, but Mike Craven was hundred percent. Correct. We'll start with this off the top. Quinn Ewers was 100% committed to Texas all along. Like Mike Craven tweeted a year ago. Uh, I just took a little detour to Columbus to get it done. But as we found out, Quinn Ewers committed to Texas. Um, this was, I don't want to say a, a very an open secret, but it was very much like he was very, if you looked on social media, if you looked on the recruits, uh, the other commits that Texas had, he was very much mostly courted by Texas, I feel. Um, it was obviously came down to, reportedly came down to Texas and Texas Tech. Uh, he committed to Texas after, I think, their big visit over the weekend where they had a bunch of their commits in town. That momentum kind of swung. Uh, I get, well, what, what came first? Did Kelvin Banks come first, I guess? I couldn't remember. Yep. Kelvin Banks came first. Yeah. Um, you know, but from all indications, from everybody I've talked to, Texas was basically on the recruiting trail talking to guys like Kelvin Banks and receivers and other offensive linemen with the assumption that Quinn Ewers was part of that class. They were that mm -hmm. confident about it. Um, so if you talk to other recruits, they kind of felt like it was already locked in. It became official on Sunday that Ewers was going to Texas, but uh, it did seem like from the very beginning, that was the odds on favorite of where he was going to go. And Texas Tech was more of kind of a pipe dream, maybe, uh, you know, if, if something fell apart in Austin, but it, it Texas with the resources, like we've talked about the resources. Mm -hmm. Uh, the amount of NIL deals that he can get in Austin and just the publicity he can get in Austin. And then the ready-made pieces there. I mean, Bajon Robinson's already in the backfield. Xavier Worthy's already, you know, a top five, top 10 receiver in, in the nation. And so um, there's already some play pieces there for him to go to, whereas Tech would have been more of a rebuilding um, mm -hmm. situation. And I think in Quinn's mind, this is a two-year decision. He's already done one year at Ohio State, he only has to do two more before he can declare for the NFL draft. I think he feels like it's it's easier to step in and win at Texas than it would be to step in and win at Texas Tech in year one and in year two. 
Yeah, you mentioned uh, towards the end of the year, you know, we mentioned kind of the things that Texas has to go and get, right? We mentioned quarterback, we mentioned offensive line play. Um, well, they obviously have their quarterback now via the transfer portal. I'm curious if they bring in a transfer portal lineman because they do have, uh, they've had three commits via the offensive line since then. Um, we mentioned Kelvin Banks. Um, I believe Neto, uh, I forget, I'm mis- going to mispronounce his name, and Mozulu um, from Allen. He was a four-star interior lineman. And there's one other lineman that I'm forgetting as well. Um, Cam, they- Cam Williams from Duncanville. Yes. So who is a freak of a human being, um, three-star uh, tackle offensive lineman prospect. So they brought in three and that, I mean, again, I, I assume, or I should say, I presume one or two of those remaining uh, linemen that Sark said, Sark said he wants to bring in five, uh, one or two might be a transfer portal, somebody they could bring in and have veteran starting experience. Um so he's already addressing the big problems, right? We'll see what happens with uh, if they bring in a, maybe a receiver. Uh, and then, of course, you kind of look to the defense as well, seeing what they do on that side of the ball. Um, and the Quinn Ewer stuff is is a huge boon for them heading towards signing day. You know, we'll see if there's some flips happening on on uh, on Wednesday. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, there's been some rumblings of some names here and there. We'll see what happens. Sign, uh, early signing day is always weird. Um, and then of course the late signing day is always weird too. We'll see if there's some momentum heading towards that. So, uh, so yeah, just, just this Quinn Ewers, they got their guy. Um, we'll see what happens with Casey Thompson and Hudson card. See if that has anything to do with their future. Presumably so at least one of those guys, we'll see if that changes Malik Murphy, who has been the guy for basically a year. We'll see if he's maybe he, you know, they, they might've planted the seeds early that that might've been a thing. And so he probably will see if he sticks around, if that was a decision that he made knowing that this was coming down the pipeline. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm really curious to see where Texas kind of finishes because uh, I believe they're top five right now in 2022. Um, I think they're six. Six. Yes. Yes. I'm looking at it right now. They are six. Well, so it doesn't technically count towards that. Towards true. That true. Or whatever. So uh, I think it was important, like, after the season that they had, specifically after the finish that Texas had, Sark had to win the offseason. He had to, to find a way to create some spark and some momentum in the offseason. Well, landing a quarterback that most of us consider generationally talented, right? That doesn't mean he's guaranteed to be that good, but talent-wise, he has those pieces. Getting that in place, now that makes Texas uh, this landing spot for players that maybe were on the fence, like what is going on in Texas? What's going to happen to Texas? Well, now that Quinn Ewers is there for the next two years, that gives them a little bit of excitement and hope and kind of an injection uh, of some, you know, fun and some, you know, ideas that they can, they can be good, you know, right away next year. And so uh, I, I do think transfer market will still get hit pretty hard because I don't know how much, you know, maybe a Calvin Banks, who's a five-star can come in and play right away, but right. you know, Cam Williams, he needs some time right? Like even a Malik Murphy, the quarterback you talked about, mm-hmm. I think you can keep him on board by going, we were going to have to, we were going to redshirt you anyway. Right. It's really only one extra year. You know, they're not in the same class technically anymore. And so, uh, you know, I think for a guy like Murphy, he knows he, you know, he's get two years to kind of watch it and, you know, get better as a player um, and then kind of take over after yours is the plan. I, I would imagine Sark is selling. Yep. Now and, I have a okay. question before we move on. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we already mentioned that his decision came down to, you know, Texas Tech and Texas and Sark's already telling some of his players like, yeah, he's coming. 
before, I guess kind of using him as leverage in a way, is that a normal occurrence? Does that happen? I mean, what if, what if he didn't end up going to Texas? What if he ended up choosing Texas tech or was he just that confident that yours was going to come back to Texas? I would imagine behind the scenes, Sark had more information than we did. Right, right. right. Just because a kid hasn't announced his commitment doesn't mean he hasn't told coaches and players that that's where he's coming, you know? Right. Um, And so, you know, I don't think Sark was out there like guarantee. I just think it was the idea of, you know, we're, we're going to get this quarterback, right. Mm-hmm. You're, we're going to have this, like, right. we're going to have this figure piece at quarterback, come and be a part of this. We're going to get better quicker than people will imagine that we're going to get better. And yeah. you already have an instant upgrade at quarterback now, like even over Casey Thompson, over Hudson card, like you have a legit dude at quarterback. Now, if you look across college football, like that's that is what it is, right? Like Clemson took a step back because they didn't have a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Alabama didn't take a step back because they do have a quarterback to take over for Mac Jones. And so once you have that person in place, I think wide receivers, offensive linemen, even defensive players start gravitating towards that team because you know that most important position is taken care of. And yours demands some respect around the state. You know, he's gone to those camps, he's gone to those all-star you know, combine type things. Everybody knows his talent. Those wide receivers know that. And so I think you start seeing Texas land a lot more skill position players that maybe they wouldn't have had a chance with. I think that I forgot what I was going to say about it. I remember there was a, um, there was a point I was going to make and then I just, I was looking at the recruiting rankings and I think I just lost it. So anyway, we will probably move on from that before I uh, stumble anymore. Uh, There was some more transfer news that came out this week. Uh, Two, I guess two programs technically. Well, not technically, literally. Two programs had quarterback uh, news. Texas A&M's quarterback, Zach Calzada, of course, announces he will transfer. Um, Not surprisingly, they have Connor Wigman coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, Haynes King will be coming back from injury. I believe Connor Wigman is enrolling early. So, theoretically, that is two more quarterbacks ahead of Zach Calzada in the transfer portal. From what I've seen... This is a guy who's loved by that AM fan base, of course, for what happened with Alabama. Um, obviously, we saw how he was limited as a as a quarterback, but I still think there is a capable FBS potentially power five starter still in there. Um, maybe just not to the level AM needs or wants. Um, and so I think he's gonna be a legend in Aggie Land, you know, kind of one of those cult heroes that they have. And uh so and this does raise a question for the bowl game, which we'll talk about, you know. Theoretically, we're looking at Blake Boast starting, which if you saw Blake Boast at high school, it's probably a surprise that it's going to be a a bowl game starting quarterback for Texas A&M. So, um, yeah, Zach Calzada is one of the other guys that's leaving. And then one of the more intriguing moves that went kind of under the radar, Texas State lands Arkansas State quarterback Lane Hatcher, who was the Red Wolves starting quarterback for the past two years. Not only does Texas State land a Sun Belt quarterback, they land an interdivision quarterback, which to me raises a lot of questions about what Butch Jones is doing there, that they just let their starting quarterback go to Texas State. Um, of course, Texas State needed a quarterback with Tyler Vitt leaving and you know provide some competition in there with Brady McBride and Ty, Ty Evans. So yeah, those are two more moves that uh, one of them really baffling, one of them not so baffling in my opinion. 
Yeah, I was wondering if maybe he fell in love with somebody in San Marcos or something. You know, like, <laughs> maybe. maybe. You, you, you never really, you never really know. I was trying to look to see if like Arkansas State had played in San Marcos, you know, at Texas State <laughs> this year, and like he went to a party and it was like, this is where I need to be because Texas, <laughs> right. Texas State can't hook you. You know, sure, like, sure, sure. You know, as a young twenty-year-old, you go, you hang out at Texas State a few times. You're like, I could go here. You know, right, so, right. Yeah. But yeah, I think that was a very important pickup for the Bobcats because kind of like Texas they needed some injection of excitement or, you know, something to kind of add some newness into that room and, and right. pick a, competition is good for everybody. Even if he doesn't end up being the starter, that's good for Brady McBride. That's going to push him to be even better. And so uh, they need, I, I still find their recruiting strategy to be fascinating and we'll see where it goes from there. I mean, they've, I looked at it earlier. They've only offered 76 players in the 2022 class in, at the high school ranks. Like that yeah. may sound like a lot. Coastal Carolina is over 300. Right. Louisiana is around 150. UTSA right. is like 146 or whatever. Like 76 offers is nothing. Right. So um, it's just an interesting strategy that we'll have to see how it plays out over the time. I remember what I was going to say now. So first I want to hit on that because you're right. Typically when you, especially when you get to the lower schools, right. Alabama is going to throw out a bunch of offers, but like typically they won't get up to like the 300, obviously when you're the lower G fives, the reason why you throw out so many offers is because one, you want to cover your bases with some of the big players, right? You want to get in early on the Cade Klubniks and, and Connor Wigmans, right? They're going to say no, but you want to say that we were there, right? And so then you just go down the list, right? You go down the prospect list, you go to, and so naturally you're going to cover more because you're offering everybody, right? Alabama is not going to go after the two-star unsung hero, but you are. So therefore you're going to hit literally everybody. That's why you see every, uh, the highly touted prospects with 30 plus offers because they're literally getting offers from everybody, including Texas, AM, whatever, to Southern Miss, to Rice, to all that stuff. So um, yeah, 77 is not a lot. I see a lot of them are, I, I don't, I don't know what the, I see the strategy and not offering like the highly, highly touted guys. Right. But I just, I, to me, you have to be in the, you have to try to be in the door um, in some capacity. So the other thing I was going to mention about Quinn Ewers, I do remember, was that I was talking to some guys that are more plugged into the recruiting beat than I am. And they brought up a good point to me and Craven, you could probably confirm this because Quinn Ewers wasn't a high school recruit. The recruiting calendar didn't apply to him right? The, the recruiting regulations didn't apply to him because he was a transfer. Theoretically, Texas could have been on this 24-7 in, in ways that they couldn't be for another quarterback. Uh, Quinn Ewers, of course, lives in, uh, he, he's from South, like he's in, he's, he's in South, like Steve Sarkeesian could have literally told anybody on that staff, we're going to put you in a hotel 10 minutes down the road, and he's going to meet with you every single day leading up to this. I'm not saying that's what happened, but theoretically, that's what could have happened because he was a transfer, because he's already signed as a collegiate athlete. That's why That's why something like Sark going behind, you know, going uh, uh, um, to recruits saying we got him in the back, he probably knew because, again, things don't apply to him. Things don't apply to that program or any program when it comes to Quinn Ewers because he was a transfer. So that was something that I didn't think of that was like, ah, oh, that's a good point that they probably were talking to him in some capacity every day or every other day in ways that they couldn't do with like a Malik Murphy or, or, if, or if Quinn Ewers didn't reclassify and was just a high school recruit. So 
Yeah, transfers are the Wild West. You know, there's yeah. not a whole lot of like regulation on what you can and can't do with transfers because it's just kind of a newer problem. You know, yep. it, was, it wasn't as big of a, an issue 10 years ago and the NCAA just doesn't have the bite it used to have. And so, yeah, I mean, like you said, you could put a, you could rent out a home in the same neighborhood if you wanted <laughs> to, right? Like you can, you can pretty much do anything you want on the transfer market. And uh, it just felt like the obvious choice for Quinn. He had committed there. He was a UT fan. They have pieces to to be an exciting offense right away. It just made so much sense for him to be at Texas. It would have been shocking for him to be anywhere else. Yep. All righty. Mallory, we have some bowl games to talk about. Uh, so let's get to it. We have uh, what's first. Go ahead. Up first, we have UTEP taking on Fresno State in the mobile New Mexico mobile. Bowl. Mobile, mobile, mobile. I don't know. I don't know if it's mobile or mobile because mobile is Alabama. I don't know. So. The New Mexico Bowl. We'll put it yeah. at that. <laughs> <laughs> this game is going to happen on Saturday, this Saturday, December 18th at 1.15 p.m. You can watch this game on ESPN and Fresno State coming in hot with their favorite by 11 and a half. I still feel so bad for UTEP that they, that they just get They're to not go going anywhere. They're going down the road. <laughs> yeah. They get like 250 miles to, to Albuquerque, you know, uh, to play a bowl game. This one's going to be tough for UTEP. Fresno State can score points. They were pretty good down the stretch. Like, it's teams that had exact opposite finishes to the season. UTEP lost four out of their last five. Um, Fresno State won four out of their last five. Um, so a lot of momentum on Fresno State's um, side of the ledger here. I do think one advantage for UTEP will be this. They should be the more excited team to be in this bowl game. Like this is a, the, the, everybody on this roster. This is their first bowl game. And so I do think they will come uh, with a little bit more to play for. And in bowl season, because it's just such a weird one-off deal, sometimes that can be the difference. I will throw this too. Ish and I mentioned this when we did our segment on TFT that Fresno State's head coach just left to take the job at uh, Washington as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of buzz around that too, off the field uh, drama to deal with. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I found, well, one, did you know that Fresno, so I didn't realize this until like a couple days ago, Fresno State rehired Jeff Tedford to be the head coach, which I don't think I've ever seen a coach retiring, a fairly successful coach retiring, and then getting rehired a couple of years later when they need a head coach. I I don't know how many times I've seen that, if ever. Uh, But anyway, so Jeff Tedford will be coming back. But yeah, it does bring up a good point about, you know, Fresno just lost their head coach. And, and almost their quarterback. Is, <laughs> and almost, yes, exactly. Almost their quarterback. It was funny. Uh, I believe their quarterback committed under Jeff Tedford, decommitted, recommitted for the for DeBoer, and then almost followed DeBoer until they rehired Jeff Tedford. So anyway, <laughs> wild story there. Um, but uh, yeah, I do, I do agree. I think that UTEP will be more excited. I think they'll be the more fired up fan base. Um, they'll probably be there traveling and pretty, obviously if it's only a couple hundred miles away. Um, unfortunately, of course we talked about, I wish they would have sent them a little bit somewhere further, but I understand the safeness of picking UTEP for this bowl, right? You want a traveling fan base. You want somebody that, you know, will go. Um, and I don't know. I, I think Fresno it's they're a very good offense. I am worried about, I think we the, the positive signs that we saw from UTEP's defense got kind of whittled away as the season went along um, and their competition got a little bit better. So I am worried about this a little bit more. Um, so I think I will probably take 
Fresno, but UTEP, that's a, that's a big spread for a team with, mm-hmm. you know, interim head coach um, with a team versus a team that should be fired up. I think UTEP will cover, but I do think this will be a Fresno State win. I think the break will help UTEP as well, because what we've yeah. talked about a lot this year is the Miners are pretty good. They're starting 11. You know, they right. got about 14, 15 defenders that are really good. After that, it takes a drop. And as the season went on, you could see them getting worn out and they just didn't have the depth uh, to stick up with it. Um, I would think they're healthier than they've been since the middle of the season right now. Mm -hmm. And they do have a pretty good pass defense because the secondary is good and the defensive line can get some pressure. And so Mm -hmm. uh, I think they have a way to make this kind of an ugly, scrappy game that maybe they can stay in. But just Fresno, we've talked about this with UTEP all the time. They're kind of boom or bust offensively, right? Right. So if they show up and have some big plays early on, this game gets really interesting. If Fresno can limit those big plays and make UTEP have to do like 10, 11 play drives, they just haven't proven capable of doing that. So early on, the way that this game goes will will kind of dictate the rest of it, I, I think. What is next, Mallory? UTSA taking on San Diego State in the, now this one I'm going to clarify, the Tropical Smoothie Frisco Bowl because (laughs) we have two. Yes. This game taking place Tuesday, December 21st at 6.30 p.m. You can watch this game on ESPN. UTSA coming in as a two and a half point favorite. Mike Craven, before you talk about this game, may (laughs) I preach to you the gospel of Matareza? Um, <laughs> I, I mentioned this, me and Mallory did a little segment on Texas football today last week where we previewed this and I mentioned not sarcastically, this game is going to come down to San Diego state's punter, Matt Areza. first team, all American. Uh, uh, he, he is legitimately kind of how they base their entire defensive strategy because their offense is not good. Let me just put it that way. Their offense is very bad. <clears throat> their defense is stellar. And because of that, they use Matareza in very creative ways. They basically have him flip the field and say, drive 80 plus yards on this defense every single possession. And he plays such a pivotal part. I believe he's he broke Braden Mann's record, I believe, for average punt uh, yards with 41 and a half. He has an insane net percentage. Um, I believe he leads the nation in punts inside the 20 as well. Legitimately, a team is probably going to spend a draft pick on him, which for a punter is kind of wild. Also, uh, something that came out, I believe, yesterday, because uh, matter because it was a first team All American, uh, Brady Hope got a ten thousand dollar bonus. Because of that, he also in turn earned offensive coordinator Jeff Hecklinski a bonus as well. <laughs> which is weird because because their offense was so bad, he had to punt so much, and in turn, there was an incentive in the offensive coordinator's job that they had an uh, that they had a, a all American that he got a bonus too. So anyway, uh, that's a weird way of saying that he somehow got their offensive coordinator paid because he had so much work to do. Um, anyway, I'm really fascinated to see how UTSA faces the best defense they're going to yeah. see all year because they're literally going to have this kid punting them, uh, pinning them deep and forcing them to go, like, like I mentioned, 80 plus yards against a very, very, very stellar defense on both sides, front seven, secondary, they're really good. And um, the only, the thing that I think goes in UTSA's favor is San Diego state's got to score points. And I don't know if they can. 
Yeah, and the crowd should be 80%, 90% UTSA fans, right? Like, I mean, this has been the best year of UTSA football ever. Frisco is a driving distance game for UTSA. I mean, it should feel like a home game for the Roadrunners. Uh, San Diego State kind of got beat, you know, got beat there by Utah State in, in their conference championship game. So who knows mm-hmm. how up they are um, for this game. I, I find it fascinating, right? UTSA's offense versus San Diego State's defense is going to be must watch. You know, I mean, Zakari Franklin against that secondary uh, is going to be fun. Can Sincere McCormick uh, get loose against that run defense? How does Frank Harris play uh, with all the accolades that he's received over the last, you know, month or so? Um, after winning a conference championship, do we see the UTSA team that we saw in that conference mm-hmm. championship first half? Do we see the team we saw against North Texas that's capable of kind of sleepwalking through a game that may not matter as much? And so uh, a lot on the line here. I know that there will be a lot of eyes on this game. It's a nighttime game kind of by itself early in bowl season against two teams that kind of have like cult hero followings, you know, like mm-hmm. I feel like they became kind of darlings of national media um, throughout the year. And so I think it'll be one of the better, you know, non-New Year Six bowl games. Uh, but it is UTSA's offense versus San Diego State's defense. And uh, from the punter thing, I read something the other day that like six out of the top ten like punting averages ever in college football happened this year. Um, so <laughs> I wonder if there's something going on with the ball or something, right? You know, like Maybe, in baseball, yeah. baseball sometimes it'll be like 50 extra home runs and people are like, oh, they changed, you know, like whatever on the ball. It'd be right. interesting to know like why punters are all of a sudden just yeah. like dominating football games, like what it was about this year, or if just people are getting better at punting. I don't, you know, I, I have no idea. Um, but yeah, I've never been more excited because I'm going to be at this game since I now mm-hmm. live in DFW. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never been more excited to get there early because I'm an early goer to football games. I'm just going to go stand on the sidelines and watch that kid punt a few <laughs> times just to hear what it sounds like. Right. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm very excited. I think one of the other things that I read up on the San Diego State defense is that they were the last team in the country to allow a rushing touchdown, which they did. I believe they did not. Uh, I can't remember exactly which game, but I was reading a column from October 13th that they that they hadn't allowed one. Um, and so, yeah, at least up until that point, they had not allowed one or maybe it was that week's game. I couldn't remember exactly. But this is a really good defense. And again, the thing that I think uh, the reason why I'm, I am going with UTSA is just because they only need one break. I think they only need one little break to go their way, which again, we've seen this UTSA defense or offense get right. We've seen them hit Zakari Franklin for a big play. We've seen sincere McCormick. If he doesn't have a great game, he has one 20 yard run or something like that. We've seen these plays break for them once or twice in a game. And I think that's all they need. If San Diego State has to chase this game, I really don't trust. They're 120th in EPA passing. They're 84th in EPA rushing. They're not a good, this is not a good team. So I really do think that this is a game in UTSA's favor. You mentioned the crowd. I think that'll be absolutely up for it. I think this is also a program that knew after the North Texas game, okay, our ceiling was hit, right? We know kind of where we're going to go for a bowl. They're not going to be disappointed ending up here. Um, this is a good program in San Diego state that they can still test their, uh, uh, kind of test their resume against. This isn't going to be a team that they're going to, they're necessarily expected to blow out if they do. Okay. That's impressive. This is the team that beat Utah early in the year, right? They beat the PAC 12 champs. So 
this is a game that is they're not going to UTSA is not going to be lollygagging into this game. Uh, just like, oh, I can't believe we're going to Frisco. No, they're going to be excited to go to this game because they realize they can end the year really, really, really well. So uh, what is next, Mallory? Oh. A game that maybe shouldn't have been a bowl at first, North <laughs> Texas versus Miami, Ohio in the Frisco football classic. Now, this one's kind of funny. I want to mention this, too, because uh-huh. first of all, we didn't think North Texas was even going to be here. Sure. Because of that well, the, one apparently, apparently the they bowl, had in October. Uh, apparently the bowl committee didn't either because they had to invent this bowl game. So. Right. And now this bowl is just brand new, but it's being played next Thursday, December 23rd at 2.30 p.m. You can watch it on ESPN. Miami, Ohio favored by only three. Yeah. For, the, for people that don't know, essentially Hawaii was six and seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to keep Hawaii at the Hawaii Bowl, right? Yep. And like, and to do so, they had to create an extra bowl, extra bowl game. And that's, you know, North Texas got in there. So in theory, you know, we had talked all year about how UTEP needed to get to that seventh win to guarantee themselves a bowl game because they could be the six and six team that got left out. Mm-hmm. North Texas was going to be the six and six team left out, which so would have been close. so disappointing considering how they got to six and six, right. like not yeah. every six and six record is created equal. North Texas played so well down the stretch to get to six and six. That would have been super disappointing for them not to be able to reach a bowl game. So I do think it's nice for these players. You know, they kind of were chasing that carrot all year to, yeah. to get to that, you know, right. To get to that bowl game, to have that extra, uh, you know, bit of practice, I think probably helps the staff. This is going to be one of those ones where it's you don't think Miami of Ohio is going to travel all that well, mm-hmm. right? It, it can't be all that exciting to go from Ditton to Frisco for a bowl game. You know, what is the atmosphere going to be like at this game? Because UTSA San Diego State's two days earlier at the same stadium. It'll be interesting to kind of see what the atmosphere is, you know, on Monday or Tuesday compared to what it is Thursday. Uh, because some of these bowl games, you know, people – you know, put pictures of like the stands all the time. And we talk right. about how there's like more people at a 3A high school state championship games than bowl games. This could be one of those, right? That like looks and feels uh, pretty empty. It'll be interesting to see which team kind of plays with that. That can be a weird thing to play in. Do these teams show up motivated? Or are they just happy to be there? Um, kind of how does this game unfold? Because I think on paper, North Texas has a chance if they run the football the way that they've ran it over the last month. I was going to say, I think looking at these two teams, I really do believe that North Texas is the better team in this matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think that it's going to come down to just North Texas playing it safe, stay away from those mistakes. Now Miami, Ohio, they have a good defense. I think they're one of the top defenses in the Mac. If, I think that's what I mentioned on our segment the other day. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, one area that they do struggle with is their rush defense. And we know that North Texas has really found their identity in their running game with DeAndre Torrey and Ragsdale throughout the year. So I think that this one kind of goes more in North Texas favor. In my yeah. Opinion. The Mac, the Mac has been pretty down this year in terms of a uh, conference play. Um, I, I would, the, the bottom of CUSA obviously has been pretty poor as well, but I would say as a whole, CUSA has definitely been a step up. Um, obviously UTSA inflates that, but even in the middle of the pack, I feel like, um, of Conference USA has been kind of a, a a small level above kind of the whole of of the MAC. By the way, that that offense you mentioned for Miami Ohio, you know who quarterbacks that offense? Brett Gabbert. And for those of you NFL fans, yes, that is the brother 
of Blaine Gabbert, uh, former uh, Jaguars and Titans quarterback. So uh, Brett Gabbert is a sophomore, and he's thrown for 2,400 yards this year, 24 touchdowns, six interceptions, has a solid uh, QBR of about 63, which is basically about a little above average. Um, I believe that ranks 56 in the country. So, yeah, we'll see. North Texas has struggled against quarterbacks who can move the ball a little bit. Um, but as we mentioned, they've figured out their thing on offense. If they can keep that going, I think that should be pretty good. Um, another thing that goes into the crowd, you know, this is Christmas break. So like a lot of students aren't, you know, probably on campus. So I'm wondering how that factors in, right? Is there enough students around the Denton area enough fans around the Denton area that just go to this game, just wanting to be there? Maybe, I don't know, but, um, I think that'll be a factor as well. So, uh, what's next? Moving on, Houston versus Auburn in the Birmingham Bowl next Tuesday, I guess the Tuesday after December 28th at 11 a.m. You can watch it on ESPN. Auburn coming into this game favored by three. I wonder if that line changes with Bo Nix uh, announcing his, his transfer and stuff like that, what that looks like. Maybe we see a little Demetrius Davis, the former North Shore quarterback, how that kind of works. Yeah. Um this is a big chance for Houston. I mean, you look at this Auburn team and you see the six and six record and, you know, what's the big deal about beating a six and six team? Well, if you can end your season with a win over an SEC team in a bowl game, that just adds a little bit more legitimacy to this season, right? I mean, they had an 11 game win streak uh, in between those two losses to kind of book in the year. You know, you can go out and win this game, go 12-2 and two, um, with this season with almost everybody coming back. You look at Houston's roster, and most of those guys that made an impact specifically on offense, their best players are all, you know, supposedly uh, coming back to campus. So mm-hmm. uh, you lose this game, and that maybe kind of gives you uh, some bad feelings going into the offseason. You'd be on a two-game uh, losing streak. Kind of the three best teams you played, you lost to. Uh, but if you can win this game, you, you go into the offseason with a lot of high hopes, a lot of momentum, and you're building your way towards the Big 12 with more and more prestige and more and more in your back pocket. Um, I, I think this would be an important game for Houston. And again, I think this is one where the Cougars have a lot more to play for than Auburn does. Yeah, I think that when you look at some kind of Houston's MO all year has been, you know, kind of the mysterious resume, right? Where it's like, oh, we're, obviously they beat SMU, right? But until that SMU game and until that Cincinnati game, we were like, okay, well, what's the real ceiling of this team? Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, you know, when they played good defenses, the offense wasn't clicking as well, right? Granted, it was Cincinnati, who's obviously a playoff team, but this Auburn team is a top 25-ish defense. And so they're kind of almost mirror images of each other, right? They're solid offenses. I think Houston has much higher ceiling of an offense. I think they have better playmakers, but there are more teams that rely on their defense and then their offense maybe hitting the occasional play. I think that lends itself more to Houston in this scenario because we've seen kind of the playmakers start to emerge for them consistently, right? When they don't run up against a Cincinnati, again, one of the top probably five defenses in the country, they've still produced at a pretty good level. So I think this does lend itself better. I think that, again, there are absolutely uh, uh, question marks surrounding Auburn's offense now. Is it TJ Finley at quarterback? Is it Demetrius Davis finally at quarterback? Um, I don't know. This is also a program that's kind of in a weird limbo because like, uh, you know, the Brian Harson thing with vaccines and like that's been a, a narrative all year with him. And so is there, uh, is there questions about kind of his trajectory for the program? I don't know. 
Um, it always seems to be kind of a storyline. But then again, this is a team that was within overtime of beating Alabama, right? So there's kind of a lot of mystery on with, with both teams as far as like how good are they, what's really their consistent play level. Um, for this one, I'm going to lean Houston just because I think consistently we've seen – I don't know. Consistently, we've seen kind of this team for what it is. I think this is a team that's firmly behind Cincinnati, right? I think everybody was basically firmly behind Cincinnati in the AAC. But I think we've seen Clayton Tune emerge as a very good quarterback. I think you see Alden McCaskill emerge as a very good option at running back. Nathaniel Dale can take the top off any defense. He's going to face one of his toughest challenges of the year. But I think, and then I think Houston also has more motivation to play this game harder going into next year. I do think the one concern I have for Houston is in the trenches, right? Sure. Like uh, maybe Auburn isn't the explosive offense that it has been at, at some points in the past, but they still have SEC quality offensive linemen and SEC quality defensive linemen. When Houston has struggled this year, it has been out physical by the opponents, right? And so this will probably be other than Cincinnati, uh, the biggest mismatch or toughest test they've had for both offensive and defensive line. Does that Sac Avenue defensive line get pressure or are they just completely stymied? Can that offensive line protect Clayton Tune and get a running game going against Auburn's defense? If not, that's when Clayton Tune starts making mistakes, right? When mm -hmm. pressure is, is coming at Clayton Tune, and that's true for most quarterbacks, but specifically for Clayton Tune, when he has pressure in his face, he turns into a pretty average quarterback. When that pocket is clean, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the state. And so seeing how that offensive line for Houston handles um, that defensive front seven for Auburn is going to be a big deal. And I don't know how they stop Auburn if they don't get pressure on the quarterback. And so uh, watching those watching those two things, I think it's going to be important. And then, of course, if you can get you know a big play from like Marcus Jones and special teams or something like that, that can really flip uh, the script for Houston. Because if we look at it, uh, frankly – you know, what is, what is Houston's biggest win? I mean, that SMU team, that was kind of on the downslide of SMU, right? They ended mm -hmm. one and four. You take away SMU, maybe it's Memphis. You know, I, I, don't, I don't really know what the, what the biggest win is for Houston. This is a team that could use kind of a landmark kind of a win uh, to finish this year and kind of give it some legitimacy. Beating an SEC team would. What's that? Next, Texas Tech playing Mississippi State at the Liberty Bowl or the Mike Leach Bowl, as I don't <laughs> want to call it. Yeah. Tuesday, December 28th at 5.45 p.m. You can watch this game on ESPN, Mississippi State, favored by eight and a half. I will say this real quick. If Mississippi mm -hmm. State has a chance, it will blow out Texas Tech, right? Yeah, like Mike Leach will not let off the pedal if possible. And so I would imagine the Bulldogs are as motivated as you can get for an average bowl game. You know, like I would yeah. think Beach has this team reared and ready to go. Um, and then, like I said, if he gets the chance, he will embarrass Texas Tech completely. Um, you know, and, and then for Texas Tech, you're still kind of at the interim head coach. You don't really have your systems in play that you're going to go into next year. You know, kind of what does this look like for Texas Tech? So I feel like this is a very interesting matchup because on paper, they're pretty similar teams. They're not, mm -hmm. they're not I don't think there's like this big talent discrepancy or whatever. Uh, but I do think there is a coaching staff in this one that has a little bit more to play for, because this is going to be a big game for Mike Leach and just kind of his, the way his personality is, if he can put up 55 on Texas tech, he's going to put up 55 on Texas tech. I don't know if you saw the quote 
that came out, I believe, yesterday. Uh, so Mike Leach was asked, of course, because he conveniently he missed the, I believe, the conference call <laughs> on this game. Um, I, I think it was uh, another representative from the team. But so they asked him yesterday about this game. Of course, huge moment for him. So he said, uh, quote, you know, great school, Leach said Saturday. I've got great memories there. They still owe me for 2009, the last time they won nine games. So maybe they'll deliver the check. So we'll see what happens there. Jeez. <laughs> that, that's like you mentioned, that is a dude that's basically saying, I want to hang 60 so bad on this team. And this is a team that kind of found its rhythm towards the end of the year. Cause last year, of course, Mississippi State was not. I mean, I was, I'll be straight up, I was saying, this was the wrong hire at Mississippi State last year. And this year, he probably has one of his best quarterbacks of his tenure and Will Rogers throwing for almost 4,500 yards, 56 touchdowns, only eight interceptions. Um, and as we've seen this year, this tech defense can get kind of torched. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm really worried about what happens when they face a high-octane offense that's willing just to let it fly. Um, this is a team that beat Texas A&M. This is a team that beat Auburn. This is a team that beat Kentucky. Like this is a real, this is a Mississippi state team that really reached some interesting heights this year. And only law I'm trying to think their only big loss was to Alabama mm -hmm. and their only other, they lost to Ole Miss by 10. Like those are their really like an LSU and Memphis early in the year, but as when they got rolling, those were kind of their only losses. So I'm kind of really worried about Texas tech. Cause you kind of, Obviously, the seniors are going to play for the coaching staff. Obviously, Sonny Cumbie is still going to be there until he leaves. But, you know, you're kind of, if you're a tech fan, you're kind of looking to next year already. You're kind of looking to see what Joey McGuire brings. And, like, I don't know how much motivation overall there is to really go out with a bang against Mississippi. Again, Mike Leach has everything to play for in this game, obviously. Yeah. Tech, you're, you're, you really, I really don't think you care if you're a tech fan. And, it, and you definitely don't care if you're a tech player. I mean, you care oh, yeah. as much as like you would for any game and you want to win. You don't want to get embarrassed sure. in football. So you got to play harder. You're going to get hurt. But right. I mean, they're like an elementary school when all this drama went on with Mike Leach and Texas Tech. <laughs> right. You know, this is a long time. This is half a lifetime ago for a lot of those guys on that roster. So I don't think the motivation is the same in Lubbock as it is uh, it, for Mike Leach and Mississippi State. Because if you're Sonny Cumbie, I know that he's given everything that he can to this game plan and to, but he, he has another job. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like he has to spend some time on that other job. Like it, like he's a human being, you know? And so uh, it's just hard for me to imagine Texas tech is as prepared for this game as Mississippi state is. And then you add in that extra motivation for a play caller like Mike Leach, and he's not going to let his foot up off the gas if he, if he can. So if this one gets ugly, it can get super, super ugly. And if you're Texas Tech, that's what you need to avoid, right? Losing this sure. game, not a big deal. Losing this game 60 to 15, a big deal, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, I do think there's some weird storylines in this bowl game that don't exist for a lot of bowl games, which makes it interesting, which makes it fun. I think more bowl games should try to put together matchups like this, right? Where there are like real feuds and, and stuff yeah. going on that make it interesting. I think more people will watch this game uh, than we would like expect otherwise just because of the leech tech tie-in yeah yep up next, next smu versus virginia in the fenway bowl wednesday december 29th at 10 a.m you can watch it on espn and virginia favored by two and a half yeah these, these are these are weird because 
all these games are going to have interim coaches. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. you kind of wonder, like, I mean, but this is basically the interim bowl um, <laughs> for both teams. Uh, I believe Virginia, they hired Tony Elliott, if I'm not, uh, from, from Clemson, the Clemson's offensive coordinator. So this one's going to be kind of weird. Um, I will say SMU, I think, will undoubtedly be the more motivated program because of how things ended, right? Because they lost their head coach in the fashion they lost their head coach leaving right across the street, a lot of those guys are going to want to go out with a bag, right? We mentioned how Tech really didn't really, eh, they know what's kind of the vibe around that program right now. They know everybody's looking next year. SMU is mad, right? SMU is like a legitimately mad program right now. And I don't, I don't doubt that Rhett Lashley behind the scenes, he's not going to be calling the plays or anything, but behind the scenes, he's probably going to be saying, telling these guys, yeah, go out and kick this team's butt. Virginia is not that good. Right. This is not a good defense. This is a defense that could absolutely be lit up by a lot of these upset wide receivers. And, and, and of course, Tanner Mordecai, I think SMU wins this big. I really do. Um, the numbers kind of go more in Virginia's favor, but I just, because of mainly because of their offense, but if this is a shootout, I eventually see SMU pulling away because this is kind of a weird moment for both teams but i just feel like uh, smu has more of a uh kind of a, a boost needed to kind of uh kick them going in this game and if you're smu i mean you 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 lose this game and you finish the season eight and five and you know you started seven and oh right, right. If, like on october 25th i tell you smu is going to be eight and five at the end of the season nobody would have believed me you know like and Rhett Lashley has been around the program. A lot of the guys that are on this roster, you know, were on the roster when he was the offensive coordinator there. So there's some familiarity there and some kind of built in, like, you know, we want to play for this guy. I do think the one thing for SMU is they're going to be missing a couple of wide receivers that declared, you know, for the NFL draft that aren't going to be part of the bowl game. So kind of what are the weapons that Tanner Mordecai is throwing to, but like Itch mentioned, Virginia is not very good and they're going through a similar situation with the coaching change. And so, this comes down to which team is more player led, right? Like mm -hmm. which, which locker room is more locked in and motivated for this game. Um, it's going to be a cool game. I mean, I, I think these kind of novelty, like inside, you know, you're getting to play in Fenway park, right? right. You know, like yeah. That's a cool thing, you know, um, and it should be high scoring. It should be a fun game. So for the casual viewer, I think this may be one of the more fun kind of like random bowl games you can find this year. Cause if it was 42 to 39 at the end of this game, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Sure. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Do they still do the pinstripe bowl too? I don't, I think this is the pinstripe bowl for this year. Right. right. Or if, if it's turned into that, right. Right. They just yeah. switch sponsors so much. Now it's like wasabi farms or something, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, right. Wasabi like, family. <laughs> Weird. Up next, Texas A&M taking on Wake Forest in the Gator Bowl Friday, December 31st at 10 a.m. You can watch it on ESPN A&M favored by five. This could be a yeah. tough one for Texas A&M, right? We just mentioned Zach Calzada is not there. Before the season, they were, you know, hoping for college football playoffs or at least a New York Six type bowl. Wake Forest doesn't have like name brand recognition where it's like, man, we got to get up for this game. It's Wake Forest, right? Mm -hmm. But Wake Forest is pretty good and they're capable of putting up some points. So I, it feels like one of those games that if Texas A&M kind of sleepwalks into this game, they could get embarrassed in this bowl. They need to, yeah. they need to jump out early. Ish and I kind of talked about this. They need to be able to come up with big plays early, big key stops, 
um, in order to avoid falling behind early because in the losses that we've seen from them this year, when they fall behind early, it's hard for them to come back. Yeah. Blake boast. I mean, I mentioned it walk on quarterback. He's probably going to be the guy. Right. And uh, I, I, I don't want to base kind of his ability off how, he reacted in that Alabama game, but he looked a little bit deer in the headlights when it looked like he was going to come in on the sidelines. It looked like he was a lot of looking around and kind of like, am I the guy that's about to go in here and face Alabama? Obviously, Zach Calzada finished the game um, and came back in, but it was kind of like, oh, I kind of just came here to sit behind two pretty clearly better quarterbacks. Um, I think that's played- how I would look too. If I if I <laughs> right. figured I was going to go in against Alabama, I, I think I'd look like that too on the sidelines. Yeah, I, I'd need a bacchiotomy or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, what's going on back? What's going on back here? You know? Right. No, hundred percent. But obviously he'll know he'll be, he'll have weeks of practice, a game, uh, days of practice heading into this game. So theoretically he will be more prepared if he is the guy. Um, there's been some rumblings. Uh, I don't know if they're just message board rumblings or what that like, ah, oh, Haynes King's going to be right. It's like, I don't think you throw Haynes King out for a bowl game. If you're, if you're hoping to have him recovered, I will say this one, if you haven't been paying attention to wake Forest this year, which again, Clemson wasn't good, so I don't blame anybody for not paying attention to the ACC this year outside of maybe Pitt and Kenny Pickett. Um, This was the other good team in the ACC this year. uh, Wake Forest, specifically this Wake Forest uh, slow mesh offense. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, Craven. This is one of the probably the most unique RPO offense I've seen this year. What they do is they're very, they call it a slow mesh. And typically when you see an RPO, right, you see the quarterback keeps his eyes downfield, kind of uh, go with the running back and see what he's going to do, right? Kind of assess the situation. What they do here is, um, I don't have the quarterback's name in front of me, but he literally walks with the running back. And like, basically until they reach the line of scrimmage, he's holding on to the football and he's walking. It's not like a run where, you know, the, the quarterback kind of has happy feet, whether he's going to pull or drop back or whatever. He's literally walking to the offensive line before he gives or pulls. And it's a very fascinating thing because the defense is trying to figure out what's, you know, how to assess it because the quarterback could pull it and throw or he could hand it off. And it almost looks like, honestly, to the naked eye, it almost looks like uh, kind of a uh, kind of a broken play where like the quarterback, like you feel like the play is about to get blown dead because everybody's going at such a half speed. Um I'm really fascinated to see how that works against the AM front seven. That's clearly going to be their best thing they've seen this year. Um, if they keep that kind of going, because it's worked. I mean, they're all one of the best, the one of the better, more efficient offenses um, in the country. Uh, but, you know, they're going to be running up against guys who, as much as we say, oh, they're not, X so-and-so is not going to be motivated. So-and-so is not going to be, this AM defense, they want to go out with one more bang, right? A lot of these guys are leaving for the next level. Um and I don't doubt that they want to go, you know, this is a prideful defense, right? A lot of these guys are very huge personalities. This isn't, you know, they don't care that this isn't a New Year's Six or whatever. They're going to go out, they're going to try to go and beat one of the best teams in the ACC, one of the best teams in the country that was kind of unheralded. Um, but I'm fascinated to see that offense against this, this level of defense because I mentioned the ACC was not very good this year. They cooked a lot of teams that probably were more talented than them, but they kind of did it with scheme and does that matter against this kind of um, A&M defense specifically this front seven, that's been just like, you know, on another level this year. 
And A&M's got 13 games of tape, um, and they've had an extra week or two to prepare mm-hmm. for this offense as well. It does it, that when I when I first heard this matchup, I thought of the same thing. I was like, man, if Hartman, if he just kind of wanders up to that line of scrimmage to do this <laughs> RPO, he may get hurt, you know, like right. he may be coming from like a different direction and just ear hole this game, you know. Yeah. So uh, but Wake Forest averages 41 points a game. AM gives up 15 points a game. So some like this is strength on strength. Uh, when Wake Forest has the football, it's going to be a very entertaining game. Conversely, when AM has the football, it may not be. You know, like it may just be what we've been asking all season. Just give the ball to Isaiah Spiller and Devon A-Chain and just like figure it out from there. So uh, I don't know, like these are just two offenses that are so polar opposite, different right now, mm-hmm. like, how they're operating and like who they have behind center um, that I think a is going to have to win a close, ugly game. Uh, can that defense do that for 60 minutes in a bowl game? Will they be up for that challenge over four quarters? Because it is an interesting, different type of offense. And we talk about, like, when you're playing against an option team, it's like, well, we don't see that every single week. How prepared are you going to be for it? The RPO is kind of an option. That, that's what it is, right? It's yeah, option yeah. offense. And so, you know, for an AM team that, you know, maybe doesn't see that a whole lot. How they, how will they react to that? They should have the pieces in place to be the perfect defense for it, but that doesn't mean schematically they'll be able to figure out it, figure it out in time. If Wake Forest can score a couple touchdowns early while A&M's kind of calibrating and figuring it out, that may be enough against this A&M offense that may have a walk-on quarterback uh, going for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the other, the last thing, is, you know, when you have Zach Calzada, who does have a big arm, right? I can see where Jimbo Fisher loses a little bit of the balance he maybe normally wants to have, right? Because you you see the big arm, you're like, ah, we got to get this guy 33 because he's going to hit a couple, right? You're Again, Blake Bose did throw for almost 4,500 yards at Port Natchez Grills, but he's still a walk-on, right? And so I think naturally Jimbo's going to be more conservative with him than he would be with a Zach Calzada, who in practice you probably see slinging 60-yard passes, right, on ropes. So, And lastly, on our slate, Baylor versus Ole Miss in the All-State Sugar Bowl, Saturday, January 1st at 7.45 p.m. You can watch it on ESPN, and Baylor coming into this game only favored by one as of right now. I'm honestly surprised they're favored. Um, yeah. again, I, I do, I do think that, uh, obviously Baylor's fantastic. And I think that they're, do we know the status on uh quarterback situation yet? Or is it still looking? I don't, I, you know, practice has, I don't think they've started their practice yet. Cause their bowl yeah. game is a little bit later. Yeah. I don't know if we know if Matt Carell is going to play or not. I would imagine he doesn't though. Mm. Yeah, I, I would imagine. So, I mean, he's probably going to be the first quarterback taken off the board. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, I feel like. Baylor's kind of in a, I mean, I don't want to say similar situation because um, Bahanna was dressed out, I believe, for the Big 12 championship game. He just didn't play. Um, so, you know, they're pretty a lot more comfortable in that situation as far as whoever they throw out there. I guess if the, if the uncertainty of Matt, if, the, if Matt Corral is uncertain, I think then it's clearly Baylor, in my opinion, uh, because he's so much of that team has been just Matt Corral kind of wrangling an at for lane kiffin an average offense um okay. in my opinion there's no you know when you think of old miss when you think of lane kiffin you think of playmakers coming out of nowhere it's really hasn't been that type of team for old miss this year it's been matt corral and kind of a solid running game um which again you don't really think about when you think about lane kiffin teams but 
So to me, if Matt Corral is not playing, I do lean towards this Baylor defense and whatever they whatever they can put together on offense, because um, I don't know. I just think so much was on Matt Corral's plate this year. I think that a lot of it was just him leading kind of a solid defense for Ole Miss standards, especially against the pass, um, and into a season where. I don't know. Uh, I probably, you can take it from there. Cause I'm kind of losing my train of thought, but I just, I don't know. I, if Matt Corral's not playing, I would kind of just go Baylor's favor. What's fascinating for me here is what will Baylor's running game look like against this Ole Miss defense, which yeah. is pretty good. I think with Lane yeah. Kiffin teams, we always talk about the offense. This Ole Miss defense right. kept A&M to 19 points, pretty shut down, pretty much shut down their running game to the point where Jimbo Fisher stopped doing it. True. Uh, and for Baylor, they have to run the football to be successful. That second half against Oklahoma State was a perfect example of that. They didn't score a single point in the second half of that win, and it wasn't necessarily because the offense shut down passing-wise. They couldn't get into second and three. They couldn't get into third and four, right? Everything was third and eight, third and nine. You got a redshirt quarterback back there. Um, another fascinating thing for me is, will it be Gary Bohannon or Blake Shapin, right? If both of those guys are healthy – if you're Dave Aranda, do you stick with the kid who led you to the, you know, Big 12 championship game win? Do you go back to the guy who started for most of the season? How do you handle that? Um, but, yeah, I think at the end of this day, at the end of the day, this comes down to if Baylor can run the football. If Abram Smith has over 100 yards rushing, I think Baylor wins this one pretty easily. If we see the stat line at the end and, ba and Abram Smith and Tristan Ebner are struggling to run the football and this is about throwing it, I think it turns into like what we saw with Ole Miss A&M where it's just hard for that offense to really create its own plays without the run game. So um, kind of like what we were talking about with Houston Auburn, you know, even these, these SEC teams, I know we maybe overhyped them a little bit. I do think the SEC is like overrated in some mm -hmm. extent, but the place that they're not is at the offensive line and defensive line. Like there are dudes there that don't exist a lot in a lot of places in the big 12. This will be one of the bigger, more physical teams Baylor has played Will that wide zone help them against that? Will the wide zone be disrupted because of the players Ole Miss has? How will that running game look? I think that's the biggest storyline for me going into this game because if Baylor can run the football, Baylor's going to win this football game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that one of the things that lends itself in Baylor's favor will be Ole Miss's defense is not very good in early downs. Um, they are, I believe, 108th in early down EPA. They give up a lot of their – and for – a for an offense that is so methodical that sets up purposefully to have the third and twos, right? I think that is going to play so much more in Baylor's favor. I think that I do think if he's healthy, Gary Bahannon gets the start because that second half from Blake Shapin to me was a little concerning when Oklahoma state kind of figured things out a little bit um, when they kind of got out of the, the, the first couple of drive, first couple of drives, you know, Blake Shapin was stellar. He literally didn't have an incompletion until like midway through the second quarter or something. Um, but I think once Jim Knowles kind of figured it out, okay, then he started to look like a freshman, right? Um, so I do think if Gary Bannon is healthy, I think he'll get the start. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think that the weaknesses of this Ole Miss defense, particularly in early downs, first, second downs, will lend itself to Baylor's favor. And I think that's kind of why I'm probably leaning Baylor overall. So. And we've talked a lot on this podcast about motivation. And I think bowl yeah. games do come down a lot to motivation. There may not be a team in a non-playoff 
situation that's more motivated and geared up to kind of finish this year than Baylor is right Mm -hmm. like these are kids that have gone through a lot over the last three or four years and it's culminating in a trip to New Orleans and a sugar bowl and a New York in a new year six bowl like Jalen Petrie Terrell Bernard Abram Smith that Connor Galvin Xavier Newman John like those guys who have stuck with this program through some highs and lows this is how you can cap it off. This is how you can kind of send those seniors out on a really high note. You're not going to see guys, you know, you're not going to see Jalen Petrie not playing in this game, right? Like they're all of their dudes are going to play in this football game. I think Baylor shows up really wanting to make a statement against an SEC team, finish with a, you know, what would be a 12 and two record and really ride that momentum into next year. I think you could kind of say the same thing for Ole Miss too. I mean, if you look at their schedule, they have two losses, and those two losses are two of the best teams that they've played on their schedule, Alabama and Auburn. So I think you could kind of say the same thing with this Ole Miss team. They really want a marquee win, you know, to cap off the rest of the season. Now they have that win over Texas A&M, but, um, I mean, they're, what, 7-4? and four? Right. So I think that, like, this win would be a big win for this program too to finish yeah, the rest of the it season. It just comes down to if their quarterback plays or not. You know, because I I do think that has a ripple effect, right? When your star player opts out of a bowl game, I think it it shows the rest of the locker room where it sits in the pecking order of of importance, right? Does that bleed down um, to Ole Miss's program? That won't happen at Baylor. You know, their stars are going to, you know, Mm -hmm. be ready for this game or going to be playing for this game. So uh, early on, we'll figure that out. But yeah, whatever status Matt Corral has for this bowl game, when eventually that gets kind of put out there will really determine what the line is if you don't think Matt Corral is going to play I would go jump on this line right now right because like as soon as that announcement's made that he won't play Baylor's going to grow into a four five six point favorite Mm -hmm. yeah I think I will say the I think he was doing press yesterday um he's not I I feel like he would have ruled it out by now right I, I feel like that, but again, it could all, it could all, it could happen basically anytime, but because this game's in New year six, obviously, but um, I believe I was trying to think he was talking to, I think it was just there, um, the Mississippi state news station. He said, uh, will he opt out? I wouldn't be in this position without them. I won't just leave. I know what's on the other side, but I'm not going to give. I'm going to give these guys everything I've got. So again, this game is a month away still, so anything could happen. And he, you know, he could be waiting for that official first round top 10 grade or whatever in the draft. But right now, he's me- at least mentally, it sounds like he's preparing to play this game, which if that's the case, this is going to be probably the game I'm looking forward to most because Matt Corral is legitimately a stellar quarterback and the old Mrs. offense is a totally different beast when they have him throwing the ball versus anybody else, basically. Yeah, I think the two best bowl games, including Texas teams, are UTSA versus San Diego State and then yep. Baylor Ole Miss. And if Corral plays, that's prime time, big time football game. Like it's, that's going to be a, a football game. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting to see how Dave Aranda's bunch uh, handles that because this will probably be the best quarterback they've played this year because uh, oh, they, yeah. they played in Oklahoma when Caleb Williams was still kind of growing up, you know. And sure. so this will, be, this will be a big test for that defense that we all really love. And lastly, um, because I wanted to, because we mentioned players opting out, guess what? It's okay. Like, I, I, I don't mind, right? I don't mind at all. These guys have futures to worry about. When uh, I think Mike Leach said something dumb about competitive balance or whatever, to me, the only time you, to me, the only time you could make that excuse is if you are a playoff team. 
because at the end of the day, that's kind of what you you play to play win for championships, right? You play to play for championships. If you're not playing for a championship, theoretically, no, you don't owe, especially if you have a future, right? A guaranteed future, like a first, second round pick. I don't think you owe it to, uh, to owe it to that extent because those are exhibition games if you're not in the playoff, right? If you're in the playoff, you know, we haven't had it yet, but if you're in the playoff and you opt out, by the way, Coaches have opted out of the playoff. Brian Kelly opted out of a team that could have made the playoff. Um, and nobody, you know, we're, we're just saying, yeah, sure, that's just the business. But if a player opts out of playing in a made-up bowl game two minutes ago, you know, all of a sudden he's a bad teammate, I don't know. Um, so if Matt Crow does decide not to play, sure, he's going to be like a top-five pick. I don't care. Go get your money, kid. So Especially because the team that you're going to be matched up with in a bowl game is either going to probably be the same amount as talented as you are you know oh, yeah. it's not he's gonna like, be, an, like, easy, not, not yeah. be an easy give me game right you, know? you could throw like five interceptions against baylor get hit 12 times like right. i'm not gonna play in that like right right <laughs> it's not like a utsa versus rice you know right. it's a it's a baylor versus old miss ma- kind of matchup and that's how it is with with all of these matchups sure and it's only and it's only like old dudes who aren't playing that give these kids grief right right <laughs> like on social media you see the teammates go like Hey, go get yours guy. You know, like they're all happy for them. Right. Like, right. like none of the teammates think they're a bad teammate. Yeah. It's just like right. other people saying that you're a bad teammate. You know, it's like, no, it's, it's life. Right. Like we all, if like I had a job offer waiting on the table in a month, I'm not going to do anything that would like put that into question, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and uh, my life doesn't include 300 pound grown men running four sixes directly into my body, you know, so, right. Um, and you don't even, it's not even just the game. It's all the practices, right? Like football practice is hard mm-hmm. and you're signing up for an extra two weeks of it when you don't have to, you know? Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I don't, I think it's getting less and less. I think there's less yes, definitely is. who are like jumping down some of these kids throats. Like it's getting more understood that this is a business decision and everybody's in it for themselves at the end of the day. Uh, but then, yeah, you do have guys like Mike Leach and, you know, breaking news here, Mike Leach out of touch makes out of touch comment. Right. Uh, that's kind of on brand. Um, and so, yeah, I, I wish coaches would help hold themselves to the same standard. They try to hold uh 20 year old kids to. Yeah. Yep. And I think, uh, by the way, this all started, do you remember who this started? This started with Christian McCaffrey uh, in 2016, I believe, or 2017. I can remember, but do you remember what bowl game he opted out of? Because you would think, oh, he opted out of the Rose Bowl. He opted out of whatever. Do you remember what bowl game he opted out of? Like the Holiday Bowl or something? The su- No, not even the, the Sun Bowl. He opted out of the Sun Bowl. It wasn't even the Holiday Bowl. Holiday Bowl goes to like the second place team in the Pac-12, Pac-12 or something like that. He opted out of the Sun Bowl versus, I don't even know who they played against. It doesn't matter. That's what this whole controversy started over because he was like, yeah, I don't want to go to the Sun Bowl. I'm going to be a franchise player for Carolina and, and get a hundred million dollars. So I don't yeah, he, can, he, he can uh, pay for his own trip to El Paso. If he needs to <laughs> Seriously, I'll be fine guys. So anyway, yeah. Uh, that I just, I, I remembered that uh, controversy. So I decided to look it up and yeah, it was the symbol of all the things, hard, so. fast rule of being an adult is not caring about other adults monies, like, or decision based on like what they're doing for their pocketbooks. Right. Like you just don't pocket watch like that. If you just don't do that, right? You're a grown person. And like, these are people who are making decisions for millions of dollars in a sport that has a very short lifespan, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you get five years in a league, you're lucky. Like you're yeah. 
fortunate, lucky human being for five years in the league. You're going to ruin that for like some like gifts at a bowl game. Get out of here. <laughs> get just get completely out of here. Like there's nothing more laughable than that discussion. Yep. Anyway, that is it. Uh, we will we'll try to figure out what to do. Cause we just previewed all the games up till up through January. Uh, so, you know, we'll figure out some stuff. Mike Craven's going to be, of course, at signing day, we we'll probably have some stuff going on there, especially if there's some last minute switches going on. Uh, this will be the last episode for the week though, because we will all be hunkered down at AT&T for high school state championships Wednesday through Saturday. Jesus, that's going to be a long time. Um, so we'll see what happens next week. If we decide to do anything, um, keep, your eye on the site for a bunch of content coming from Mike Craven because he's going to be all over the DFW area with uh signing day, trying to see where he can poke his head in. So we'll be keeping track of that. So. Yeah. We got interviews lined up with Sonny Dykes and Rhett Lashley. So we'll have some one-on-one stuff coming out by the time, you know, the end of the new year's goes on. And then, yeah, I mean, this week for us is all high school football. I'm excited to yeah, kind yeah. of get back into that press box and just like, watch high school football because it's different right like yeah. it's not better or worse but it's just different and it's a different kind of enjoyment um there's nothing like watching 10 games in a row over like three and a half days and like forgetting if the interception that's in your head if it like happened in the game before if it happened in this <laughs> game if it happened on thursday um so yeah it'll be it'll be fun i feel like i walk out of that like a zombie and usually with a cold but i got my cold out of the way so i think I'm going to be good after state championship weekend. So that, that'll be exciting. Y'all are going to get yep. sick. Yeah, I probably will. <laughs> take your, take your emergency now. Take your emergency I'll, Let's now. say, yeah, I'm beefing up on the vitamin C heading in. So uh, yeah. airborne, you know, whatever your brand of preference is, get it in. You. All the stuff, all the stuff. So like I said, we'll see you guys probably next week. We'll see maybe the week after. I don't know. The schedule's all weird now because, you know, yeah i don't know schedule's weird we'll see what happens uh yeah keep it on texasfootball.com for all the content coming up for state and national signing day and uh let's see subscribe rate and review apple spotify wherever we get your podcast and we will talk to you guys whenever we talk to you guys